Welcome back, dear listener. It is the end of March 2021, and we are back with a new Movie Brewer podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Scott Willis, and this is the podcast where we talk not just about movies, but the stories behind actually getting them made. So in the last episode, I said I wasn't going to really address uh, 2020 and all its insanity with a lot of specificity, but... It seems that this month I'm kind of throwing that out the window and uh, addressing it rather directly. Lockdown is, in fact, not a movie from the 90s, but a film that was scripted, shot, and released during a global pandemic. The only film about 2020 to be shot during 2020. But before we get into it, let's crack a beer. Spoilers. Actually, you know what? For something this recent, I'm going to try as best as I can to keep this spoiler free. This is the Movie Brewer Podcast. My beer today is Hindsight 2020 by Lord Hobo Brewing. Now, Lord Hobo has kind of a special place for me because it was the last brewery that I went to just before lockdown last year. I went there for my birthday, which is in the middle of March, and it was three or four days before the stay-at-home order was officially announced. So it seems only appropriate that my 2020 retrospective, I'm making air quotes, I feel like I will be making air quotes several times during this uh, episode, It seems only appropriate that my retrospective beer would be from Lord Hobo. Lord Hobo was founded in 2015, and in its six-year operation, it has grown exponentially. It is one of the fastest-growing breweries in the United States, and most of that is because of its founder. Daniel Lanigan is a veteran restaurateur and a bar owner with a passion for craft beer, a passion that we see so often in brewery founders. Um... Initially, he started the brewery in a 50,000-square-foot space. Now, this is a drastic shift from the normal ones that I talk about on this podcast where we're talking about, oh, yes, I started brewing in my basement or in my kitchen. A 50,000-square-foot space is nothing to sneeze at. And he knew in order to maintain a space of that size, he would have to scale fast, which he did. In his first six months open, he sold 3,000 barrels of beer. That is huge. Hindsight 2020 is the first of Lord Hobo's rotational series, uh, which is a new approach for them uh, for iterating a lot of different beers rapidly. Originally, this beer was put out in the middle of the pandemic under the name Quarantiki, uh, but it has been rebranded and re-released in a hope of putting the craziness of last year in our rearview mirror and looking forward to 2021. Uh, So this beer I have in front of me is a tropical IPA. I'm told it has welcoming notes of melon and pineapple. Uh, They say it's a very drinkable, again, with the quotes, a very drinkable beer at 6%. Um, 6%, I I don't know. I suppose I'm more used to my very drinkable beers being around 4%, but I'll I'll mess with 6%. Yeah, let's do it. this is supposed to be pretty crisp and refreshing, so I'm going to crack this open real quick and see how we do. Uh, 
Okay, so this has a nice golden kind of color to it. Not a lot of carbonation. There's some going up there, but not as much as I've seen in the past. Uh, it's got a little bit of haze to it. I can still see through it to a degree. It's not overly clear. There's, you know, it looks enticing. In terms of aroma, I don't smell a lot of... Uh, a lot of fruit in there. Uh, I don't smell melon or pineapple coming off the, the nose, but um, it certainly doesn't smell overly bitter or anything like that. So um, let's take a taste here. That is definitely very crisp. There's definitely a, a fruity taste to it. Uh, not a big hit of alcohol that you would, I suppose you would expect from a 6%, but not bad. The more I taste it, the more I can taste the pineapple, which is nice. Uh, I would say this is very drinkable. There's no alcoholic kick, and it doesn't linger in the mouth. It's kind of once you sip it, you're 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 kind of free and clear. So yeah, I think I'm gonna enjoy um, enjoy drinking through this. Can I just start saying like transition and then move on to the the movie? Because I always pause and I'm like, all right, how do I get? to start to talking about this movie now. Uh, and then I get all panicky, and then I just bail out, and my transitions are terrible. So I guess we're going to file this one in that same kind of vein, but here we go. Let's talk about the 2021 film Locked Down. As always, I'm going to start with my synopsis just to give you a sense of what's going on in the film, and I will try again to keep this rather spoiler-free. Paxton and Linda played by Chutel Ejiofor and Anne Hathaway, respectively, are a couple living in London whose relationship has just ended. Just in time for them to be trapped living together as London enters lockdown from the coronavirus. Paxton is furloughed and Linda is forced to downsize her corporate team, leaving both of them pretty much at the end of their ropes. However, Unexpectedly, the stars seem to align and they find themselves in a position to steal a priceless diamond from the world-famous Harrods in London. So this is a film that very much only exists because of a very specific set of circumstances. It started in a way that so many creative ventures did during lockdown last year, uh, with director Doug Lyman and his writing partner Stephen Knight going, you know, a little stir-crazy. Now, Stephen Knight is a well-known British writer in Hollywood, though you may not know a lot of his work. Most notably, he's known for uh, the television series Peaky Blinders. Doug Lyman is known as a director throughout Hollywood who pushes boundaries. Um, his filmography includes things like The Bourne Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. His original film that he kind of got his start with was Swingers, starring Jon Favreau and Vince Vaughn. And he has sort of garnered a reputation of being, I don't want to say hard to work with, but like a lot. We'll say a lot. He repeatedly infuriates collaborators. He's notorious for ignoring studios and going way over budget on the projects he works on in pursuit of his own vision. Um, something that has garnered him the reputation of being a difficult filmmaker, but also a filmmaker that's going to go after what he wants and not be dissuaded by theoretical improbabilities. I guess I can, I can say that. So the film began with a dare. Lyman said tonight, what if we wrote a movie for us to shoot in September 
in London. Now, this was in July, and that is an insanely fast turnaround. I've talked about films in the past on this podcast that have been in production for 18 months, two years, three years, on and on and on. There's scripts that languish in production hell for decades. But here we are with Doug Liman saying, like, what if we wrote a film that we would shoot in two months? That's crazy. It's crazy. I, even saying this out loud kind of gives me anxiety about that timeline. But that's the kind of filmmaker that Doug Liman is. So after a couple weeks of brainstorming, they had the idea of a heist at Harrods. Now, Harrods, for my American listeners, or I guess anyone really non-British, Harrods is one of the world's leading luxury department stores. Think Macy's, Bloomingdale's, that kind of thing. And Harrods is notorious for not letting films shoot in their location. You know, they're very strict. They're very protective of their uh, their space. And they kind of thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could theoretically shoot in Harrods? So... With that idea, Knight went off to write the script, and Lyman started contemplating the production. One of the first things he did, and obviously one of the first things you would have to do, is approach Harrods. Uh, this was mid-July. He had no completed script. He had no studio behind him. He had no financing. And honestly, going in, he really expected a no, expected them to say, hmm, interesting, come back in three months with a completed script, and then we'll say no. But let's remember, this is 2020. This is not normal times. This is COVID times. COVID is a great equalizer. And Harrods, for whatever reason, was open to the idea. And with that little opening, it was off to the races on production. Now, the pair had the idea that their production would be done on spec, basically meaning they did it without the backing of a financing team or a studio, which is risky but there was, A, no time to put together a whole package from a, a financier or a studio. There's no time to go through the whole process that usually accompanies pre-production on a film. And B, there was no promise that this movie would ever actually be completed. This was being created on a whim. This was a couple of guys saying, like, what if we did this? What if I just uh, wrote something and then we shot it and it was about the pandemic? And that kind of mentality from the beginning has some of the greatest hurdles that you could imagine in making a film. But hey, as I said, this is Doug Lyman. Rising to production challenges is one of the things that he's known for. So first, we talk to Harrods. After that, again, without any kind of completed script or anything like that, Lyman started reaching out to acting talent. And this is one of the things that they felt most Free about After all, with the lockdown, there were no projects in production. Everyone was available. They had sort of their pick of the litter into who they wanted to cast. Now, obviously, not everyone would step into a role like this or be willing to do this. But from the beginning, Doug Lyman had the sense that Anne Hathaway not only would be up for it, but would be able to bring a depth to the character of Anne. Uh, in brainstorming of the character, he knew he needed someone that could deliver, but also still bring a feeling of levity 
to the darkness of lockdown and 2020 and all of that. Uh, and he thought Anne Hathaway would be able to toe that line rather well. And she signed on to the production without much hesitation. Uh, though later she was quoted as saying she couldn't see herself saying yes to this for any other director than Doug Lyman. Uh, his reputation preceded in me. She knew that he was someone who was going to push the limits and could probably bring a really authentic vibe to this production. For the role of Paxton, uh, Doug Lyman had another hurdle. In 2020, there could be no in-person chemistry reading between his two leads. He had Anne Hathaway, but finding someone that could play off of her and deliver the relationship that's going on between these two characters is important. Um, there was a rumor for a while that Killian Murphy was being considered for the role, but eventually it went to Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, who is probably best known... Well, he's in a lot of things. I don't want to uh, editorialize, but... I know him uh, from Serenity. He was also in Doctor Strange. Um, oh, I feel bad. Uh, his other roles are escaping me at the moment. I've seen him in in plenty of things. But Lyman thought that Chuatel could bring a uh, a level of he described it as Cary Grant energy to the role. You know that kind of suave, but also funny and not taking things too seriously kind of vibe. And he was enthused because in their, their first conversations, Chiwetel recognized the comedy in the role and kind of saw what Doug Lyman was trying to pull together in the, in the film. The rest of the cast is actually uh, rounded out by some pretty major stars. Again, no one was shooting, so they could really call up anyone that they thought might fit into the role you have Stephen Merchant, who is one of the major comedy players in England. He plays the manager of the company trying to move the diamond out of Harrods. And then we also get players like Ben Kinsley and Dulé Hill and Jasmine Simon, uh, Mindy Kaling and Ben Stiller. The, the list goes on and on. All of these players appear only in Zoom meetings throughout the film. Zoom meetings that are filmed from the actors' homes while they, too, were locked down in quarantine. Lyman looked for people who were already in similar situations as the characters in the script. Dulé and Jasmine, who play a couple quarantine together, are actually married and were quarantining together. Similarly... Ben Stiller's character is locked down with his son, much as Ben Stiller was locked down with his son. Uh, Lyman worked with these actors locked down in their homes via Zoom to sort of find spots in their houses that would work for the production and kind of gave them instruction into uh, how to frame and where... Uh, they should be positioned in the frame. Things that would normally be left up to a cinematographer were left to actors, which is fantastic. Um, I guess to go off on a, on a little tangent here, one of the, the craziest things I think I've seen over the course of uh, this pandemic is the either insane attention to detail or the complete disregard of detail when it comes to what people's framing looks like when they set themselves up for a Zoom meeting. You either care or you don't. 
it's an interesting situation of letting actors actually take more control of the frame and, and things like that. Um, but I digress. That's as good a cue as any to move on to the actual production. So this film was shot in 18 days. Now for a feature film, that is incredibly fast, like incredibly fast. The final, and again, quotes, the final script came out to about 180 pages. Now, if my math is correct, and I like to think it is, that's about 10 pages a day. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but when you're having large scenes of dialogue or when you're having larger set pieces about stealing a diamond from a major department store, that is a lot to do in a day. But also keep in mind that this script is only barely finished. So for much of the production, they were working with Stephen Knight's first draft, which for anyone who's ever written a first draft of anything knows that that is more than somewhat horrifying. First drafts are notoriously... Notorious isn't even... They're first drafts. Like, the very name indicates that there are to be other drafts. If there was not going to be a second draft, it would just be the script. But this is a film that was made off of a first draft. And as such, there had to be a deep, deep confidence in the writing and in Stephen Knight's vision for the film and in Doug Lyman's vision for the film. And I think that's kind of reflected in the performances from Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm getting off topic here. But man, 180 pages in 18 days is very, very fast. That speed of production is very hard on actors. As would be necessary, this is a very dialogue-heavy film. And as would also be necessary, there had to be a lot of flexibility in the production schedule and what scenes would be shot when. The slightest tick-up in part of the production could drastically change timelines. And there were times when changes in the timeline would mess with the actors. There were times when they would have to throw out a scene that they were going to shoot that day and do something that was supposed to be for the next day. And given that this was such a heightened timeline, they wouldn't always have those scenes memorized. And they would have to sort of, I don't want to say improvise, but go with the flow and give the performance that they could pull out of a scene that they are just becoming acquainted with. And I think that speaks volumes to the talent of the two leads. But also sometimes there were scripts hidden in their eyeline. There would be close-ups on Anne Hathaway where she was performing not off of her co-star, but off of a script that was hanging in front of her so she would know what specifically her lines were in this scene. It's crazy, man. I like this was a fast shoot. I don't know if I've properly driven that home yet, but yeah, fast. Whew. So the production schedule itself was fast, but also was being produced under severe COVID regulations. They shot only five days a week, which most productions are usually doing a, a six in one for a week. And the days were short. You know, you're looking at eight to ten hours. The standard uh, timeline on a film set is a 12-hour day, six days a week with one off. So that 
limited their timeline even further. Everyone was wearing masks constantly until the camera started rolling. There was no food or drink allowed on the set, so no one would be eating. The crew and the cast were given tests for COVID constantly to kind of give a, that extra level of protection because if anyone contracted the virus, then that was it. That would completely obliterate their timeline. And as I said earlier, would pretty much guarantee that the film wouldn't actually be made. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of stress in terms of production for the actors, production for uh, safety concerns, and then we add on the special challenge of shooting in Harrods department store. So Harrods was open, as I said, uh, to the production. Uh, originally, they were like, yeah, you can shoot in our uh, our food core and our retail spaces. That's no problem. Uh, there is a scene in the film that takes place in Harrods vault uh, where they're storing all the jewelry and the diamonds, etc. The film originally asked if they could shoot in there and Harrods said, no, um, that's our vault. Like, what? Uh, so the production came back and said, okay, well, can we see it so we can make an accurate copy and it'll look like it? And Harrods went, uh, uh, yeah, okay, you can see it. And they showed the filmmakers, uh, the vault. And then not long after that, they said, okay, yes, you can shoot in our vault. Uh, this is insane. This is the equivalent of... Someone saying like, oh, yeah, you could shoot, you know, in the West Wing of the White House or in uh, the Gold Depository in Fort Knox. Like, yeah, just come on in. We'll bring you as many people as you want. Like, whatever. We'll just like do it. It's crazy. But Harrods was supportive. And the only stipulation they said was like, hey, don't like tell anyone where in the building our vault is. But that access and that availability is something that would only have happened in the chaos that was 2020. Uh, had Harrods been open and under normal operating procedure? Absolutely not. There's no way. And then Harrods went even a step further, and instead of having to cast extras and bring other people into the department store, they offered their own staff who were already operating under COVID procedures to be the extras in the film, um, and they wouldn't need to bring anybody else in there so a lot going on with this film a lot of reasons why this film shouldn't have worked a lot of reasons why this film should have fallen apart and yet it got made which I think is a testament to resilience I think is a testament to filmmakers and is a fantastic parable of filmmaking as a whole and what filmmakers do to get their productions made. Yeah, it's pretty inspiring that this movie exists. When we talk about the reception of this film, there was a lot of buzz around this movie before it even came out. At the Virtual Toronto Film Festival in September of 2020, it was all people were talking about. But the film didn't play there. They were still shooting it. As I said, it was one of the few films that was actually in production. And with names attached, like the names that were attached, there was bound to be buzz. In December of 2020, 
the film was bought by HBO Max, and it was slated as one of their original offerings, an HBO Max original, right when Warner Brothers was starting to push the platform. Um, it was released on January 14th, 2021, just over six months from its original inception, not just over six months from when production started or when they started shooting, just over six months from when Doug Liman and Stephen Knight thought up the idea. So it currently sits at a 43% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The general consensus is that the film is a little slow and a little meandering, which is to a degree true. There is a level to which this film is a first draft, but but I think that that aligns with the same vibe that we all had in quarantine. Nothing was right. Nothing was exactly what we expected it to be. Nothing was what we wanted it to be. It, everything that came out of quarantine was not something that was going to be able to be judged on the same level as other things in the world. It was the weirdest time. It was the weirdest time. And if you look at it from a meta perspective, this film is the ultimate quarantine film. Yeah. So, and then this is the part where I would normally start talking about the box office performance of this film, but I really can't. This film was released on HBO Max directly to streaming. There was no theatrical release. There was no box office to speak of. And that's something that the industry as a whole is really starting to move towards. And it's a very odd kind of thing as a film critic to, to comprehend because what are my metrics? How do I say this was a good movie? This was a bad movie. This movie, not, okay, not was this a good movie or was this a bad movie? Did this movie do well? Was this movie liked? Is it through critical reception? Are the metrics of how a film does based on what critics say now? Do I have no other metric? Do movie reviewers actually wield that much power now? Now, I, sorry, I'm getting a little meta here. And I know there is like the audience score on, on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is around a 30% now, which is not good, but it's tough to say with streaming and everything that's happening. I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into this because it is a whole thing. I could talk about what a successful versus a not successful movie looks like for hours. But I like this movie. By all metrics that I can offer you, it was not a success. But again, I say I don't think anything that came out of quarantine can be considered a success by uh, by classic metrics. So with that, I am going to bring it back down to my quick facts. And I'm sorry to say I don't have many here. The one big quick fact I have is that Doug Lyman, uh, the director here, was quarantining in Massachusetts. And this film shot in London. And he found himself with the interesting dilemma of getting from Massachusetts to London, which he did by flying himself in his own single prop airplane. 
as I said, Doug Lyman is one to push limits. He couldn't really go get on a commercial flight to London, obviously. So he flew from Boston, Massachusetts to Greenland across the pond to London. And uh, that's wild to me. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like over the course of this, I've been saying like, whoa, that's wild on a lot of different points, but um, not normal times. And then the only other real quick fact I, I have is that this is likely the only film of record uh, that was created and released during the 2020 pandemic. Um, while there will undoubtedly be countless films uh, about the experience of lockdown and COVID-19 as a whole, this one will always have a level of authenticity. Um, not necessarily because it's the greatest film, but because it is the most real of anything we'll likely ever get. This film is, on so many levels, a film uniquely 2020. And with that, I'm going to come back to my hindsight 2020. Ooh, see, that was a good, like, reverse transition going on here. Like, yeah. okay, I suppose I shouldn't just, like, start talking about this stuff. But, like, so my hindsight 2020 is doing pretty good. I've drank most of it at this point, which... You know, when I do these, sometimes I get through the whole thing. Sometimes I'm like four sips in by the end and I'm like, okay, that's like a fine beer. But I'm almost done with this one. As it warms up, I can uh, taste the alcohol a little bit more. I th That might just be what happens to beers when they warm up. The pineapple is a little less potent, but um, I'm, I'm digging it. I like the idea that Lord Hobo took this uh, quarantine and and made it something new, re-released it as uh, I, I think so many of us are hoping to sort of re-release ourselves. Damn. Okay. Fuck. I'm getting way too meta in here. I'm going to bring this home and we're going to, we're going to close it out for the day. Cause damn, uh, that will, that will be it for the second episode of season two of the movie brewer podcast as always i hope you'll hit that like or subscribe button be sure to check me out on social media i am on twitter facebook and instagram at the movie brewer you can check out my movie reviews on letterbox you can read my beer reviews on beer advocate and i hope you'll tune in next episode where i go bigger than i've ever gone before and maybe just maybe might bring in my first ever guest star with that, thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Scott Willis, and this has been the Movie Brewer Podcast. <laughs>